Why did the Catholic Church invent a historical Jesus? Every Christian and most people around the world that has been exposed to the Bible and Christianity cannot fathom the idea that a person named Jesus Christ never historically existed. There seems to be so much evidence, but when you really check into the evidence, the only source is what we know as the Bible. Biblical archaeology and scholarship are not objective participants when it comes to the Bible. They both exist in most instances to prove the biblical narrative, not for the objective and impartial study of it. The fact is, historically, no Jesus existed in any historical records outside of the Bible, and the Bible is not a historical document. Most biblical scholars will claim the source or original Bible has never been found. What we have passed down to us is translations of a copy of a copy that was copied. I'm going to start off this video with a statement that is bold, controversial, and downright blasphemy to Christians that I can definitely prove to you through research and some evidence that you can confirm with a little research of your own if you so choose. The statement is this. The God-man called Jesus Christ never existed. He was an invention of the Catholic Church to legitimize its organizational authority by claiming their authority originated from the Son of God. I can be 100% confident in my statement because of the knowledge I have obtained on where the idea of Jesus originated and what it truly meant as an ancient spiritual concept. I know definitely that Jesus originated in Egyptian myths that filtered through the Gnostics and to the Christians in the first four centuries of the development of Christianity. With the formation of the Catholic Church, there was a need to invent an actual personage for the masses to institute power and control over them through a hierarchy within the Catholic Church. I know that sounds kind of like diabolically conspiratorial stuff, but it's the truth. During my research, it shocked me to find out how it was done. I've had the knowledge that Jesus originated in Egypt for many years. Many questions I had as a Christian have been put to rest, like, will I go to hell for eternity for not believing? I can answer that with an emphatic, hell no. Christians that come to my channel and profess that I will be going to hell really make me laugh. I think of them as analogous to a four-year-old in early childhood psychology that have a very self-centered point of view. A child around that age covers their eyes and because they can't see you, they believe you can't see them. A Christian that fears burning in hell assumes I have the same fear because they believe in hell is real. It makes me laugh and shake my head. But anyway, I digress. One question that had nagged me for a long time was why was there a need to invent a corporeal flesh and blood man when the original concept was metaphysically and spiritually perfect? Historically, the concept of Christ had been around for 10,000 years or more in ancient Africa. Christ was part of the theology at the ancient temple of Ptah in ancient Kemet, now known as Egypt. In ancient Kemet, Christ was about the conscious development and evolution of a soul while incarnated in a human body. This Christ idea was genderless. 
Everyone, including women, was potentially a Christ in that it was a spiritual principle. You can see that represented symbolically by the one-legged Osiris in ancient Kemet. The one-legged symbol is a remnant from ancient interior African spirituality that made its way up the Nile River to Kemet. You'll see this reference to the same idea in the Bible in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 when St. Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The exoteric meaning most Christians are taught is that we are all one when believing in Jesus as our Savior. But the Gospels are really about the ancient commissions giving information about the archetypal journey of a soul. That's every soul that incarnates on earth and not just one special man. Esoterically, Galatians 3 and 28 is speaking of the state of a soul as having no gender. Again, in ancient African terms, Christ is a title describing a state of being when a person becomes enlightened and aware of its higher self, as we call it in modern vernacular. Even the name and idea of Jesus has ancient esoteric meaning as well before the Catholic Church corporealized the idea. However, I'll save that for another video lesson. Were these Christian men just naive, dumb, and ignorant? Or were they extremely clever? The answer is yes to both questions. It's documented at the time that early Christian fathers recruited those that were not very bright or educated. There was a logical reason for doing so. In order for the dogma to take hold, they did need those ignorant of the truth to comply. As time passed, many of them accepted the doctrines on faith, just as Christians do today. The average Christian has never researched what I'm explaining here. However, based on their faith, they will call it a lie. They don't seem to understand that just because they believe it doesn't make it a fact. Faith does not equate to facts. Historic records show that the whole story of Jesus that was given to us by the Catholic Church was backdated from the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in 325 CE. It was at this council that the idea of a man that was God in flesh and who died and resurrected from the dead began. Even back then, the average person knew that the idea of a man dying for three days and coming back to life was impossible and absurd even to claim. That's why the Catholic Church came up with the concept of miracles. Miracles don't have to be explained because, well, they're miracles. Nothing rational or cause and effect has to be connected to a miracle. You can just say, God did it. And you don't even have to ask questions about it because you can't understand what God did anyway. However, the Catholic Church needed to convince others to just believe in Jesus without question as well. The best converts were the ones that accepted this absurdity blindly and without question. Even today, it's implied those that believe the strongest without questioning are the best Christians and therefore the most spiritual. The early church bishops wrote books and letters to each other, expressing their theories and hypotheses to each other. They were simply crafting and developing their system as any organization would do today. They knew the best mentality of the people they were trying to attract into the fold, and they wanted them unenlightened and ignorant of the truth. 
The quote above by early Christian scholar Origen is stating that Christians are well-educated in the ways of God, but not smart in dealing with worldly life. In other words, they were uneducated. In the next quote on early Christian fathers that did not want enlightened believers, Massey is saying that the historic Jesus is based on faith without the ancient knowledge the concepts were derived from. Those that were the most ignorant were said to be the better believers. Tertullian, an early Christian father, said that the ideas of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection was to shock its readers so much, it's so crazy and out of the ordinary, that it must be believed because it's so crazy and out of the ordinary and absurd. This was part of the backstory of the early Christians. The dumber, the better. I know that sounds insulting, but I want this understood in no uncertain terms. So how did the Catholic Church despiritualize the ancient spiritual concept of Christ? The God-man Jesus was a fabrication of the Roman Catholic Church to subjugate Roman citizens to the authority of the Catholic Church and the Pope. They needed to put in place a leadership that was beyond the question of the people they were leading. Even if the people couldn't respect the man or the organization, they should never be at odds against God for fear of eternal damnation. Although not historical, the Bible is as much a political document as it is a religious document. The formation of Christianity is due as much to politics and government as it is theology. They cannot be separated. For the first two centuries, there were many Christian sects that would be called Gnostic in modern times. Many formed under different ideas and different leaders. The Catholic Church version of Christianity won out because of a monumental convert in 313 CE, the Roman Emperor Constantine. That conversion essentially married the church and politics. With the Catholic Church's need to legitimize the authority of certain men, it also ushered in a despiritualized version of the Egypto-Gnostic mystery systems. Here's what I mean. The ancient Egyptians and their Gnostic pupils believed the soul was the primary entity that existed. The body was a transitory expression of the soul. The ancient Egyptians taught that the human mind is the bridge between the physical outer world we experience and our inner subjective world as a soul's learning platform. In other words, your thoughts and emotions is what's real from the soul perspective. For the ancient Africans, your inner world is the kingdom and where God dwells. Even the Bible says the kingdom of God is within. Check Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 21 in the King James Version. The ancient comedic concept of an enlightened Christ was a principle that the mind connected the inner world of the soul and the outer world of your physical life. There's a deep and powerful esoteric principle that is missed here because of what the Catholic Church did. When the metaphysical idea was made corporeal in Jesus, it forever stripped the individual of the ability to access the true kingdom of God. The Gnostics and their teachers, the ancient Comitians, taught that heaven and the kingdom of God is within you. That means each person's inner experience of God is unique and subjective. This idea today is known as Gnosis. In ancient Kemet, it was symbolized as the feminine netter Ma'at. 
Christian fathers denounced the Gnostics as heretics for even teaching ideas as your own unique experience was the real experience. This idea alone threatened the authority and hierarchy of the Catholic Church because you don't need to rely on any bishop or priest for your spiritual guidance. That meant just as you could back then, you could do the same today and go within and connect to God. That's what spirituality is about. It's your unique experience of your world. It doesn't have to be like someone else's. This was the basis of gnosis or knowing. Knowing meant that you experience an idea within you. For ancient Egyptians, the interconnection was the way the soul gathered information and wisdom through the experiences of a human life. It was about experiential learning, not by proxy through a savior. For the ancient Egyptians and later the Gnostics, wisdom was the highest form of learning. From the Egypto-Gnostic perspective, objective reality is but a projection from your inner mind. Christian fathers spoke against anyone attempting to validate their own unique inner experience. In this way, they despiritualized Christ and gave the world historical corporeal Jesus. In this way, every inner spiritual experience was linked to Jesus and nothing else. They made us believe that these experiences could only happen through accepting Jesus as the Savior. It's just not true. A Christian, Muslim, Jew, or atheist can and do have the same type inner experiences. They're a natural part of the soul having a human experience. Above, Massey writes of an anti-spiritualistic religion. He's referring to the idea that Christian fathers demonized intuition, dreams as a source of wisdom, trusting your own inner compass, and just about anything that you would experience that could not be validated by the church or guided by those in power. So what prompted Christian fathers to ordain Jesus as God and man? What did the men who invented historical corporeal Jesus have to gain from it? That was one question I couldn't quite put my finger on in my early researching. I knew it was about money and power. That's obvious. But how did a historical Jesus become the means to serve those ends? Well, let me break it down for you. Unlike most spiritual systems of the time, Christianity claimed they had knowledge that others didn't. They claimed that what they had was truth and because of it made Christianity unique. The Bible, of course, was a revelation. That means the knowledge in it was never before seen or heard. If you have any knowledge of ancient Kemet and the ancient Egyptian mystery systems, you already know that the Bible, as a new revelation, is an outright lie. There were many different Gnostic sects in the first two centuries. Once the Catholic Church began to form, Gnostic teachings became a problem for them. The Christian fathers had a problem. Each sect had followers, but how could an orthodox or right-knowing Christian know the difference between a Gnostic who they felt was nothing but a heretic? A heretic basically means anyone whose position is disliked or denounced. How the Christian fathers solved that problem was to invent the historical man named Jesus from the spiritual myths of the comedic Egyptian Christ. Why was Jesus needed? 
The quote from the book Gnostic Gospels by Elaine Pagels tells you why the church needed to invent historical, flesh and blood, bodily resurrected Jesus. So the question again was, why was flesh and blood Jesus needed? This is what she says. We cannot answer this question adequately as long as we consider the doctrine only in terms of its religious content. But when we examine its practical effect on the Christian movement, we can see, paradoxically, that the doctrine of bodily resurrection also serves an essential political function. It legitimizes the authority of certain men who claim to exercise exclusive leadership over the churches as the successors of the Apostle Peter. End quote. Out of this need to organize leaders was born the agenda and the need for a historical God-man that bestowed a succession of knowledge and order that had to be passed on to later generations. About a decade after the conversion of the Emperor of Rome, Constantine, the Catholic Church had its first ecumenical council. At the council, a number of proclamations were instituted that made sure that number one, you could define what true Christians believed, and number two, that certain men could claim authority from God through his son. The first two paragraphs of the Nicene Creed pretty much put in place the tenets of forming the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Here an excerpt from the Nicene Creed states, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. As stated before, Christianity was Gnostic for the first two centuries. Then they started to separate theologically on a couple of grounds that just coincidentally were paramount to the formation of the organizational structure of the church. The Gnostics believed that there was one ultimate creator and then a lesser God that created the earth and the material universe, which was a departure from the Egyptian cosmology. Christian fathers ended up rejecting this aspect of Gnosticism because they believed that leadership on earth should mirror heaven. The Catholic Church hierarchy set in place that there could only be one main leader on earth because there was only one God in heaven. They established a doctrine that is labeled today, one God, one bishop. It was not only theologically expedient, but politically as well to denounce the Gnostic idea of God and lesser aeons creating the earth. Christian father and bishop of the church, Irenaeus, wanted to ensure that the bishops on earth had equal authority as God in heaven. Hence the need for the first part of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. With all the quarreling of the different sects, the one God, one bishop decree was made. The next question was, how could someone tell the difference between a true priest or Christian and a false one, Gnostic? At this point is where a historical, physically resurrected God-man was needed. The Gnostics did not believe or teach that Christ was a physical being. The church needed some way to take over that no one could question. What better way to do this than by God sending his son to earth and giving his power to someone when he left? So who would be the true leaders on earth? Jesus was said to have followers on earth, his 12 apostles, 
but they didn't really exist either. According to the church, all the apostles got their message directly from Jesus. No one else could ever make that claim ever again. It actually mattered that this God-man and the apostles were walking around some 300 years before the Nicene Creed was authored. In other words, the Catholic Church backdated everything historical about Jesus over 300 years after his supposed life. Why? That's because no one could confirm a physical person because there was no one alive in 325 CE that lived at the time Jesus supposedly lived. But most importantly, a physical Jesus could not be denied either if the powerful bishops vouched for his life and authenticity. The laity had been taught to accept the decrees of the church on faith without question. It was part of the faith. Christians are kept in a loop of believe and you are saved. Have faith in what you believe. Any doubts mean you don't have strong faith, which means you're a suspect Christian, which in turn brings your faith into question, which can banish you to hell for eternity. So how do you keep from going to hell? Simply profess that you believe. That's the loop. The loop short-circuits rational thinking. It also short-circuits any intuitive feeling that something's not right. And someone like me that not only questions but asserts that Jesus never existed can only be an idiot, insane, or both. I assure you, it's neither. I and others like me simply had the courage to step outside the loop to question and research to find the truth no matter the cost. A physical resurrection was an absolute absurdity even in ancient times. Any sane person at that time questioned it and the Gnostics outright rejected it as stated below by early Egyptologist and scholar Gerald Massey. He said, The Essenes and the Gnostics absolutely denied the physical resurrection because they were spiritualists. Therefore, it was impossible for an Essene to have taught the resurrection of the dead at the last day as Jesus is made to. But because of the need of apostolic succession, the Christian fathers had to make a man that conferred power to his apostles before he left and went back to heaven. It was a political move wrapped in theology. Because the bishops and the priests are supposedly in direct succession from the apostles of Jesus, the Son of God, then they should be obeyed as God on earth. The Pope claims his authority today based on apostolic succession. There was no God-man named Jesus. There was, however, an African science spiritual principle called Christ. They are two different things. When you can break down the components of the myths from ancient Egypt, the historical Jesus unravels in a hurry. I do this in my e-course, African Spirituality Before Christianity, The Ultimate Guide. I put a link to the information page in the video detail selection of the video. If you're on a mobile device, click on the drop-down arrow to the right of the video. The title section will expand and you'll be able to access the link from there. Why is it important to bring this knowledge to light? Personally, I don't care what a person chooses to believe if it brings them happiness, expressing and being their authentic self. 
But being made to believe in the doctrines first born in the ecumenical councils of the Catholic Church have caused millions of people so much pain and conflict within themselves, to say the least, be they Catholic or Protestant. People deal with fears of burning in a lake of fire for all eternity because they didn't accept some papal edict. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion with the concept of an eternal hell? Think about how psychologically frightening that idea can be when placed in the mind of a child. The problem is that the child grows up and is still haunted by the idea as an adult. Many adults stumble on the information that I'm talking about, and it feels like being dropped off the side of a cliff without a parachute. It's emotionally gut-wrenching. Here at Comedic Center Living, I don't leave your belief system shattered and busted with nowhere else to go. I connect you back to the origin of those teachings. I teach you what should have been taught in the first place before Christianity screwed up powerful spiritual knowledge. What you'll find is that you don't have to throw everything you know as a Christian away. I know a lot of my comedic brothers and sisters will not agree with this, but the Bible can still be useful for confirming metaphysical and African spiritual concepts when you dig deeper to find the esoteric meaning. I shared some of that meaning on the concept of Christ earlier in the video. It's the exoteric, literal, and historical perspective taught to us that make us believe a lie. It's a matter of being spoon-fed knowledge meant for elementary level understanding and being told it's the ultimate knowledge. It's time that we expose these ideas that are harmful and damaging to the mind and disconnects you from the well of knowledge and wisdom within the universe. The most insidious doctrine is one must believe in the fabricated God-man in order to be saved from hell. That's not how it was taught originally in ancient Kemet. It was a beautifully empowering teaching, one that you should at least learn about, especially if you suffered from the indoctrination of Christian fundamentalism. You can subscribe to my channel and get my updates. Please like and share this video with others you know that will be empowered by this knowledge. Thank you for watching.